0: Canuck Central Friday. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah here in the Kintec Studio. As we bring you another edition of Canuck Central. We are brought to you by Enzyme Pacific Vancouver's Premier Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, and Jeep Superstore on 2nd Avenue between Camby and Maine, or at Enzyme Pacific Chrysler. CA. A lot to get to. Of course, Yannick Hansen will join us at 4.30, our Friday analyst, and we've got a mailbag coming up a little bit later on, maybe even get to a bit of a rumor roundup later on in this segment, but um, it was a tough loss for the Vancouver Canucks last night, Sat, and uh, not surprising that the uh, post-game show reflected uh, how difficult a loss it was. It's just... Kind of surprising given how little the team has lost all year long.
1: Yeah, and and listen, I I would say there there were a lot of fans that were Pretty rational about it. Can't win them all. Understand, you're not going to win every single hockey game. But uh, I feel like a was, lot of
0: fans don't realize that.
1: <laughs> I, I, I agree with that because I, I do think, and especially I see it like looking at my mentions today on, on Twitter and you know throwing the mailbag question out and everything. And uh, there is still like this apprehension about where this team is going, and and maybe you know the other shoe dropping all of a sudden, and and maybe this is a mirage and it's finally catching up with them. I think there is some of that going on, some 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 fear that maybe just maybe what we've seen so far is not the true Canucks, but I think pretty clearly um, the two biggest topics amongst fans were, can the Canucks beat the good teams mm-hmm. and the three teams they've lost to that are the best teams, Boston, of course, Vegas, and Colorado, and then the other topic, of course, Elias Patterson. It seems like every time the Canucks lose, Canucks fans come up with the pitchforks around Elias Patterson. <laughs>
0: Yeah, he is, uh, he's that guy right now that is uh, taking the brunt of the criticism from the fan base. Some of it fair, some of it uh, maybe a little bit uh, over the top considering how good he's been in the overall this year. It is their first regulation loss since January 4th. So um, yeah, for a lot of... Uh, the discourse uh, in, in the aftermath of the four nothing loss to the Bruins last night, uh, it did feel hyperbolic at times to say, to say the least. Now I get it; it's the Bruins, and there is a bit of a heightened sensitivity to a game in Boston, and the team, you know. I don't think they played all that badly in the overall, but they had some pretty glaringly bad moments that uh, allowed the Bruins to kind of put it in cruise control for most of the game anyhow. So we'll leave it at that. But the, the idea that they can't beat good teams is one that I think is also a little bit overblown because their record in general against playoff teams is... One of the best in the league, and that shouldn't be surprising considering they have the best record in the National Hockey League. So what is it about the losses to Boston, Vegas, and Colorado that really sticks out as a potential, you know, this is something that the Canucks should be worried about? Is there anything? Is there a common theme from those games that showed up in all three of them? Is there something that the Canucks continue to need to work on to have more success against the truly elite teams in the NHL?
1: I do think the thing that stood out to me, and we spoke about a lot of these things on the post game show in terms of the records against good teams, and you're right. I mean, they're some, they have one of the best records against top 10 teams in the NHL. And you start looking, though, at The very hierarchy of the Western Conference, and we talked about this the other day, and we said, hey, it's Vegas, it's Colorado. Those two teams are still like in their own kind of top tier. The Canucks are really knocking on that door since getting Elias Lindholm. We have not seen the Canucks play those teams ever since they've acquired Elias Lindholm. But the Boston Bruins are a team that just never go away, right? And they still have this high-end talent. And their top-end guys were just a cut above, like last night. David Pasternak was one of the best players on the ice. Brad Marchand was still doing Brad Marchand things, dominating against the Vancouver Canucks, something we've seen way too many times uh, over the past decade and a half, it seems. And even Charlie McAvoy in the back end and Hampus Lindholm, they just dominated. They were completely clean, moved the puck so efficiently, they were so clean with how they played. And the Canucks' top-end guys, and I know Pedersen took a lot of criticism, but they didn't score a single goal, generated next to no quality chances, really, as the game went on. And Quinn Hughes looked like he couldn't get out of his own zone for the first period. So, to me, the thing that was so jarring was the top end guys for Boston were just significantly better than the Canucks top end guys. And when you look back at those two games against Colorado and Vegas, when their top end guys took a decided to take their game to another level, the Canucks couldn't match it. So I think that's what is, is what really sticks with people. I don't know how they're processing it in terms of uh, what what conclusions you you take coming away from it. But it was just those three games were the games where I thought the Canucks top-end guys couldn't match the high end of the other teams. And I don't think that's something that they won't be able to do. But in the three games against those three teams, that's been the common denominator to me.
0: It's, it's something uh, I completely agree with you, uh, by the way. But it, it's something that I think you need to... Uh, monitor as the season goes on because there is going to be a lot more uh, of these difficult matchups coming up. Right, L.A. and Vegas is back on the schedule. You're going to get Winnipeg next next week, who I know is going through a bit of a rough spell right now, but you know they've been one of the, the best and have been, in general, the best defensive team in hockey all season long. So there's some real good tests coming up, and I, I think the the Patterson conversation is probably what sticks out because he is supposed to be the forward that is able to match those other guys right like we don't put as much as I appreciate JT Miller as a player and I think the fan base or a large section of the fan base continues to underrate JT Miller to a certain extent I don't put him in the tier of a Jack Eichel or a um David Posternak or even uh, Nathan McKinnon. Now, McKinnon's in really, truly uh, the the top, top tier of the league. But, you know, the only guy, the only forward on the Canucks that's considered to be, you know, a top 10, potentially top 10 player in the league is, is Elias Pettersson. And I think in some of these games, he has really had a tough time. And last night was again one of those moments. Miller had his moments as well, with a couple of turnovers and uh, on the power play goals that were scored by the Bruins. But ultimately, it, it you know if you're the the star player on the team, you're going to be a top ten guy in the league. You're going to get paid like a top ten guy in the league. People are going to hold you to that standard. And even if Pedersen isn't paid like that just yet the fan base is sort of estimating as he will be paid to that standard. And overall, Pedersen's game this year has been obviously very strong. He's still one of the best players in the league. But I would say one area where he hasn't been as good as he can be is defensively this year, Sat. And it shows up in some of the numbers. Like he is uh, among the highest, or he is at five on five, been scored upon more so than any other Canucks forward, or the Canucks have been scored on, more so with Pedersen on the ice than any other forward. His goals against Per 60 is one of the tops on the team right there with Ilya Mikheyev and Andrei Kuzmenko, who happen to be his two most common line mates. Now, this doesn't mean Pedersen is the worst defensive forward on the team. It's just something that I, I don't expect, or I expect better from Elias Pedersen on the defensive side of the puck than I think we've seen at times this year.
1: And he's very capable of being a lot better yeah. than what he's been defensively, right? Like we, we, we know that he can be. And, and I think last night is one of those games where I, it's not like I, I thought anybody wasn't trying. I thought the effort was there. I just thought the Canucks just didn't quite have the same level of intensity that Boston had and couldn't match it. And honestly, I thought, in the first period, 5-on-5, five five, yes, Boston, I think, despite what the shot metrics kind of said, had the run of play with how they played the game, but wasn't was much ado about nothing. Not much happened 5-on-5. Five five. Boston had like one or maybe two scoring chances, maybe two for being generous, like actual quality scoring chances yeah. in the first. The two goals came on the Canucks power play and they giving up the, the shorthanded goals. So I thought, you know, when you, if you take away making mistakes on the power play, then I thought maybe, you know, maybe it's zero zero coming out of the first, and maybe it's a different game. So I'm not even quite sure I'm at the point where I'm like, Well man, the Cucks didn't have anything last night. Yeah. And it just unraveled completely. And one of the things I've wondered about with Pedersen's game too we went over the numbers. He's been over. He's been so productive against top guys. I mean, top teams. You take away uh, even the games against the Edmonton Oilers and look at other top ten teams the Canucks have played, and this still includes you know Boston, Colorado, and Vegas. He has sixteen points in twelve of those games. So it's yeah. not like he's not producing against those teams, right? But it's about the overall impact he's capable of making that he hasn't been able to kind of find in terms of his two way game. I'm not worried about it. I think it'll come along. Is there maybe a focus in his own game about ensuring that he's being productive with the contract going on and everything like that? Like, is is there any human nature of, not to say that he's not caring a defense, but maybe more preoccupied about making sure that you're scoring and doing those sort of things?
0: It's a completely fair argument to to bring up, right? Uh, as long as the contract isn't signed, you, you're, the door is open to le- uh, and and left open to wonder, because you know he he has made. Um, some uncharacteristic mistakes, right? Um, stick handling too much. That was sort of the crux of some of the criticisms he's taken from from Rick Tockett publicly in the past. Even, you know, we remember the hat trick against Nashville. And, yeah, it was good uh, scoring those goals, but there's still too many turnovers in the game by, by Pedersen. Um, you know, we saw... The, the shorthanded goal Tuesday against Carolina. He has the, the bad turnover at the blue line. And yesterday it, it happened to be JT Miller with the bad turnover at, at the offensive blue line that put Pedersen in a, in a bad spot and he couldn't recover to, to make the play on Danton Heinen who had the breakaway. So, you know, it, it's not always Elias Pedersen, but I, I just, it, it's uncharacteristic of him to make some of those mistakes in those areas of the ice. And, and, is he pressing trying to make that one extra move rather than making the smart play which is generally what makes him uh, such an elite player is how you know he's making the smart the best play that's available to him rather than forcing things that aren't necessarily there
1: i, I do think some of that's there and you see it on the power with the pass against the carolina hurricanes the turnover it's yeah. it's it's too dangerous of a play. And I would say on the power play, before that turnover happened, Pedersen made a good defensive play on, or a good play preventing a, a errant JT Miller pass from being picked yep. off and going the other way. So it's not like he's not trying. I, I would be very careful to say, like, you know, this person's disinterested or whatever. Like, I don't, I don't find that any of the players are disinterested. No, it's, looked, it has nothing to dig- do with that. Yeah. They looked like they were dejected once a team game went against them. You know what I mean? It kind of snowballed and something we haven't seen from this team really unravel. That's what kind of happened, especially in that second period. And Pedersen is a part of that, right? But I do think oftentimes we look and chase narratives. Like we have something in our mind. And if you, if you have, let's say about a player, you're, you're somewhat skeptical about this player. Then the player has a tough game. The team has a tough game. It's very easy for you to confirm your bias and say, "Ah, there it is." I've been talking, telling you about this, right? And you know, for people, you know, Ryan and Port Moody says, "I don't disagree that P.D. is in the top echelon of centers in the show, but does his lack of presence in some of the bigger games raise questions about his it factor that separates the really good players from the elite?" Ryan from Port Moody. Again, not an unfair question, but here's the thing: like he's been productive against the top teams. Like literally, it's just the three games we're talking about: Boston, Colorado, and Vegas. It's three games. He played the Vegas Golden Knights in the playoffs in 2020, had five points in seven games, was the Canucks' best player in that series. In a tight-checking physical series where Demko was a was star that stood on his head. But Pedersen, if you go back and watch, he had a great series, and that's a high-level game. You look at the other teams they played so far, Carolina, other teams, he's been good. So I, I don't think he disappears in big games. But I do think, like, there are times when his game is not where it needs to be, and I wonder if there's some level of distraction here and there. But is it not kind of nitpicking when you look at a guy who's still what an eighth in the league in league scoring?
0: Mm-hmm. It's uh, there's definitely some of of that going on. You know, I, I actually thought something similar to to myself uh, as you referenced the texter. Like, does does Pedersen have that it factor for as good as as uh, you know he's been and? Um, you know, how the production is there and, and all those types of things. Does he take over a game? Like the way that uh, we're seeing Patrick Waugh really lean on Matthew Barzell, the way the Avalanche lean on on Nathan McKinnon at times. Like does, does Pedersen have that? And then – as I was having that thought, I was like, "Well, you know, there was that game against Seattle last year when he came back off the flu and uh, basically carried the Canucks to a win, Boy, and he yeah. had five points." You know, yeah, like, the
1: flu game, right? It was the, the <laughs> call the Pedersen flu game. But
0: but here's here's so it's the, like okay, it doesn't happen every game, but like he he does have it in him where he just like takes over and is literally unplayable for the opposition.
1: It's I mean yeah, of course, I mean you're gonna have games like that, but at the, at the same time, like. I think there's this hyper focus, of course, on the Canucks and their players and, and this expectation that star guys at all times have to perform and play at this high level. But it's, it's an 82 game season. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you look at, even you know, with the Edmonton Oilers, I think it's funny because, you know, you look at the production that those guys have had. But go back a couple of years when they struggled. Look, go back beginning of this season when the Oilers were struggling and Connor McDavid was what? Like, what? The 30th in league scoring. People, they were ripping McDavid. He's overrated. He's not that good. It's like, okay, and he's probably pretty good. You know, I, I, I wouldn't, you know, worry about it too much and look at him now and he's, you know, by far the most dominant player in the league again. So I do think there's, these ups and downs that happen over the course of a season, and you're going to see some of that, I think there's a, a the existential crisis with him because he hasn't signed a contract. And I do think there's almost like readying yourselves for him maybe leaving, and you're like, you know what, I don't like him to begin with anyways. He's overrated to begin with anyways. Yeah. you know. And, and, I, and I wonder if there's an element of that kind of going on.
0: Uh, Keith, the water guy. Pedersen is the Johnny Gaudreau of the Canucks. He's got skill and puts up points, but it just seems like he doesn't care. It's time to move on from him.
1: <laughs> what? Like okay, sure. I mean, I mean, he doesn't this whole idea that he's holding the team back. He doesn't care. I mean, they're number 1 in the National Hockey League. Yeah. Well, am I, am I, am I, did I wake up in a twilight zone today? Like the Canucks last in the league or something? Does Pedersen have like, is he last in league scoring? Does he not have like almost thirty goals? Like, what are we talking about here? Well, it is like, strange how these it narratives makes no sense to me. No, this this stuff makes no sense to no, me. No, I understand. They don't make any sense to me because I get it. Like we can talk about hey, this and that. You know, you can be better in all this. But this whole like, get rid of him. He's not. He's just disinterested. He's you know, team doesn't buy into him. It's complete garbage it's complete garbage. Well, we we think about the
0: criticisms of JT Miller in the past and, you know, his emotional outbursts, if you want to call it that, and it, you know, at that time it was it was, you know, showing too much emotion and it's it's a negative thing and um now Patterson um is is not showing enough emotion? Like I I don't understand. I've never understood these types of thoughts. Uh, I mean, I respect your opinion, Keith, but I respectfully don't agree with it at the same time, right? It's like a player doesn't have to slam his stick and, and do all these raw raw things to show that that he cares, right? It's, I think Pedersen and the level of play that he's brought for much of his time as a Vancouver Canuck shows just how much he cares, how he continues to get better shows how much he cares. Has he had some tough moments? Certainly last night was one of them, but in the overall, his season has been pretty damn incredible he's a top 10 player in the league when it comes to league scoring so i'm not sure why the criticisms have reached this point and I, I shouldn't say i'm not sure i know why it's it's because of the the contract and the lack of a new contract showing up for the vancouver canucks and Elias Petterson.
1: yeah and, I, and I, you know you know there's this text that comes in here and, and says, "I always feel cringe when people say P.D. should get a plank check." Um, grabbing a pointer here and there is always the argument. He's a point per game player, but how, how often does he really take over a game? Two to three times a year. Well, no, it's more than that. And in this point here, Matthews, McKinnon never go missing for a month. They can take over a game whenever they need to flip a switch, and that's completely—that's that's completely false too. I mean, if if Austin Matthews could c- control, could take over a game whenever he wanted, wouldn't the Leafs have more success than they've had?
0: Wouldn't he have scored against the Canucks when they were uh, here in Vancouver a couple of weeks he, ago?
1: Why did he not step up to score? Maybe he's <laughs> not that good. Maybe he's overrated.
0: I know he had opportunities, but he didn't score. Facts only. Um
1: it's just one of those things like how closely do you watch other stars and other teams and the criticism they feel last year. Remember the criticism Austin Matthews took last year? He had what? 90 some points, 40 goals are like, Oh, he's, you know, he's struggling. He's maybe overrated. Matthews is not that good. Told you he's overrated. And then this year I was like, Oh, uh, best goal scorer in the league. Maybe he breeds, maybe he's going to be the top goal scoring in NHL history one day. I mean, it changes so quickly, you know, And, and that's the thing I would point to more than anything else. It's that if you look at other star players and other teams, they also go through some ups and downs. Nathan McKinnon, I think people forget that he got, came into National Hockey League, great rookie season. They kind of floundered for a few years before finding his game again. That's why you know,
0: and- uh, he was on the best contract in the league for a long time because you know his, towards the end of his entry-level deal, he wasn't performing at uh, you know, <laughs> the level that he is now.
1: Yeah, so I mean I'm I'm all for the criticism. And listen, if you want to make the point that he's not worth 12-13 million, I mean fair. I mean I think that's fair. I mean, if you want somebody to get paid that much, you would have high have high expectations. But I just think feel like this this push towards saying he's overrated and saying you know he's maybe not even that interested to begin with. I just feel like it's a lot of rubbish. Yeah,
0: and there's a text here that says uh, he had a bad game last night. We can criticize it. I'm not. You can criticize it all you want, sure. Uh, and I agree with you. He didn't have a great game last night. No, there's no disputing that. It is pretty much fact. He was a minus four. He was on the ice for all four goals against. He had a couple of ugly moments, but he wasn't the only one that had some ugly moments. And two, taking he had a bad game to oh, he's terrible, you should get rid of him, is a a little bit of a leap. Like, there's a difference in that level of criticism of, hey, he had a bad game, and oh my God, we need to trade this player, which is what some of the texts are saying, or give up on him, don't give him the contract, all those things. Like, that's, that's a bridge that I'm not willing to cross here. And that's what's sort of happening with the fan base, and that's to a level that I think is definitely... Just a touch over the top when it comes to Elias Pedersen. There's some legit criticisms you can have for this player, I think, and as we've outlined some of them. But in the overall, he's still been one of the better players in the entire National Hockey League this season, and he's a huge contributor on the number one team in the league. So the level of criticism just seems to be a bit much at times.
1: He's had, he's had two stretches this season where he's gone two or more games without getting a point in a row. That's it. He had a three game stretch. This was from, uh, November 20th until the 25th. So he had three games he didn't get a point. And then he had another stretch where he had two games he didn't have a point uh, that was a little while ago with a Canucks um, streak there was Chicago and St. Louis two games he didn't have a point so those are the only two stretches all season he's gone two games or more without getting points so this whole idea that he, misses, he disappears through these long stretches is not backed up by fact it's just not
0: yeah um, it's not backed up by fact just look at the numbers, look at his game logs and uh, you'll see uh, just how important Elias Pettersen has been to the Vancouver Canucks this season alright, uh, quick thing on uh, some of the news going on around the National Hockey League, we'll get to more of it in the mailbag as always, uh, subscribe to the, the podcast, that way you never miss an edition of Canuck Central, appreciate all the text, we'll get to some more of your questions during the mailbag um, Phil Kessel uh, just how real is the Phil Kessel to Vancouver chatter set? Uh,
1: I mean, I do think there's been—I I, would—I don't dispute that there's been some sort of contact. Like, right? I—I buy that. I'm just not sure there's going to be anything imminent on that front. Right now. um does not mean the Canucks have some level of interest? Potentially. I'm, I'm not disputing that again. I don't know if that's a front-burner thing for Vancouver. Now, is that something that maybe if he doesn't land somewhere else and they go through some options and they don't find the game, you know, they don't find somebody, then sure, perhaps they circle back to it. But for, my understanding is there's nothing imminent with the Canucks adding Phil Kessel.
0: It's still uh, a fit that is a bit awkward for the Vancouver. Well, maybe for Phil Kessel. Like I'm, I, I'm just curious what his motives are. Does he want to latch on to another contender, try to get another cup ring? Does he just want to uh, join up with a team and be able to continue his Iron Man streak? That's you know a couple of things I wonder when it comes to Phil Kessel. Uh, Chris Tanev, you know the the trade market continues to heat up. Elliot Friedman mentioned on 32 Thoughts today that uh, while the Canucks still like the player, it's just hard to imagine them being the one that outbids everybody else to get Chris Tanev.
1: Yeah. And I think where the Canucks find themselves right now is, and I think um, Rutherford himself mentioned this and Alvin himself said this to us that, you know, we'll see what comes, you know, we'll take our time here and kind of see what's going on. And my understanding is they're very much just staying on top of everything and seeing where they can find some value. They've spent as you mentioned, uh, quite a bit to get Elias Lindholm. I don't think they're in a position where they can outbid other teams for rentals. If something falls into them in a price range that makes sense, I think they do it. But I think they're very much kind of circling around everything and looking for value where they can find it ahead of the trade deadline. So that's not to say they're not checking in. You know, I'm, I'm sure they are talking to other teams, but I don't think their approach is let's go out there and, and outbid other teams for these top end rentals. It's about. Let's see what value we can find somewhere. If we can get Tanner for cheaper because nobody else is paying the price they want, okay, maybe we swoop in and do it. But like Elliot mentioned, given the market for him, given the desire for defensemen and players, players of that caliber... I don't think Vancouver is going to be outbidding teams for those types of rentals. So I think Vancouver is going to do other things, but I think it'll be very much being strategic and waiting for value to pop up.
0: Uh, We'll have to uh, get in uh, some thoughts on Jake Gensel and Casey Middlestat a little bit later on in the show. But we do have Yannick Hansen set to join us. That's coming up next on Canuck Central. Canuck Central in the Kintech studio. It's for Enzyme Pacific, Vancouver's premier Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, and Jeep Superstore on 2nd Avenue between Cambie and Main or at Pacific CA. We go to the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline to welcome in our Friday analyst. He's brought to you by the Magnuson Auto Group, Metro Ford, Port Coquitlam, and Magnuson Ford in Abbotsford on both sides of the Fraser to serve you. It is Yannick Hansen, our Friday analyst. How you doing, Yannick? I'm good. How are you? Uh, we're we're doing well. the uh, The discourse of the fan base after after every loss. There's been so few of them. I guess people are just amped up every time the Canucks lose. But uh, it's been it's been strange to see the way that uh, Canucks fans have have ridden the roller coaster this year. Um, it, it's it's just been rare to see them have a, a tough night like they did last night against Boston. But those those are going to happen, as we should know.
2: Yeah, it was a tough night and and they weren't really in the game either. It's not like you could look at that game and say okay, we we were there, we had chances, we should have we should have made more of it. No, like they were they were outshot and outscored and outgunned. Um and again it it's again it's tough to to harp on a team when they go what what, what they come to 9-0 and 2 or whatever and then you lose one. Um it's just it's that one game against the the top team in the east that, that they're competing with. And that's the one we're losing. That's what stings a little bit. But like, if I'm honest here, you, you forget this as quick as you can and you move move on. Like, it's one game, and then they've been playing so well. Uh, so let's not uh, get too too down on themselves or, or after them here, and and let's see what the next couple of games here will bring. Do you,
1: when you look at these games, right, the, the three teams they've lost to that people view as legit cup contenders. Obviously, Boston lost to Vegas. Also lost to Colorado, and didn't look very close against Vegas. Against Colorado, there were two-two in the third. You know, Colorado took over. Do you take anything away from those three games against those three teams, or is it getting too like, getting too caught up in single games in the regular season?
2: Um, you you want to measure yourself. Don't get me wrong here. Um, th- those are the those are the games that you kind of uh, look to on the schedule, especially now with where they're sitting. How, how do we match up against these guys? Can we beat them uh, if we have to? Um, that being said, Boston was also a favorite last year, and they were out in the first round. So, so again, uh, cup favorites and all these things, it, it is what it is. But there's no question, teams that are good consistently, and Boston are, um, you, you want to find a way to beat them uh, in that one game that matters. Um, the one game when you know the, uh, <laughs> the whole Western Canada is tuning into this because... I don't know if it's game sixteen or twenty now in the in where we are in the game twenty seven in the time in the timeline here. There you go. Um, I saw flashbacks to, to Cody Hodgson's goal last night on TV, so nobody's forgotten it. Um, and that's what I mean. That that's where you're hoping that that game that will we'll show up, we'll win that one. We might not feel good. It's on the road. Uh, ton of games after a break, but but like this is the game we're going to show up to, and we, we we win it because we want it um that's kind of how you look at it and then they kind of lay a little bit of an ache and that's why people are a little bit up about it but but again it, in the big picture it is what it is there was a loss and then let's just move on and uh, and see what the next couple of games brings because they found a way to bounce back from every every single loss almost this year and proven that they are not the team that we're worried about or the team we've seen in the past. No, this is a different group. Uh, They know how to pull themselves up and and then get the results uh, soon after.
0: You know, uh, I know uh, Elias Peterson, Despite having uh, you know 65 points on the season in uh, 51 games, is, it seems like there's more criticism lately for the player than than uh, praise for the player. And maybe some of that is a little bit the coach mentioning it a while back. And last night he ends up being a minus four, and he's directly involved in a couple of the goals. Is this um, like? Are you seeing something different from Pederson? Does he look like he's pressing? Is he making the wrong play? Um, it it just—it feels like there's been some uncharacteristic turnovers from him more than anything else.
2: There, there's probably a couple of things that weighs on his mind. Uh, new contract—he probably mm. been at top of it. Um, again, what we saw in the beginning of this year was like—I think that's that's the standard you hold him to, uh, and that might be a little rough because he doesn't have the. The running mates, I haven't had the running mates to get that done consistently throughout the year, but but he was almost single-handedly on his line, taking over games. And you see that very rarely. And all of a sudden in Vancouver, you got this hope belief that, hey, we, we, we got the best player in the NHL. Like, we're, we, we can beat anybody. We should beat anybody when you have that one player. Um so you're, you're always hoping, looking for that, uh, him reverting back to that dominant uh, uh, player he was there. And again, is he that player? I don't know. Because again, be, being the, the very best and that far ahead of, of everybody else, I, I don't think you can expect that. Uh, you can expect that maybe in in short bursts or, or stretches, but, but not not on a consistent level as we've seen some of the other guys that are kind of doing that around the league. And he is definitely up there, uh, maybe maybe half a step behind these guys. But but you're always hoping that we'll get that player that when we match up against Colorado, um, I'm not worried about McKinnon because I got Pedersen. Or when we're playing against Edmonton, I'm not worried about McDavid because we got Petey. Um, and again, that that's that's where you're measuring him. Uh, again, that that's the pinnacle. Uh, so, so again, um, maybe cut him a little bit of slack again uh, and hope that, uh, again, it's, it's a long season and we need him to be good here in, in six weeks uh, and then from there on in uh, and hopefully it's just like, a, uh, again, him getting ready for that run.
1: You mentioned maybe the contract thing is weighing on, on his mind a little bit. He said he wants to focus on, you know, just his play this season and and, and focus on the contract in the off season. If that's something that you set out to do, then you kind of have to be. And I'm I'm not trying to criticize him. I'm just saying, like, if if you're saying if he's somewhat thinking about the contract but doesn't want to talk about it during the season, isn't that almost putting yourself in a position where you're overthinking things?
2: Yeah, it's a it's a BS answer because uh, if Vancouver comes and say, here's 14 million for eight years, oh, where's the dotted line? Uh, then you sign it. it. It's what players say because they don't want to deal with the media. They don't want to talk about it. Uh, maybe you're maybe you're a little bit upset that it didn't get done in the summer. Um, so now you're you're kind of showing shoving it back at the at the team and say, hey, even if you're coming, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna entertain it. I'm just gonna do my own thing and. Uh, do it that way but but like i said if if the numbers are right and all those things uh, that this thing will get done in a hurry uh that there's no question in my mind about that uh what is the right number years that that's a different question um because now we've seen some of these younger guys that aren't necessarily just aiming for uh uh, max length and stuff like that. No, they're setting them up a little bit more like the basketball players signing a little bit shorter, more money in order to capitalize on a, on a rising cap. And then that's not really something we've seen uh, in the league. Uh, going back to the Crosby Oveskin, they were, they were silent, signing these long, long deals. Uh, everybody was. And now this new um, new line of players, uh, Matthews in, in in particular, are signing these shorter deals and are proving that they're really setting them up differently than than NHL players have done in the past.
0: Well, when it comes to negotiating, does doesn't your agent do most of the negotiating, and then it's uh, all right? Tell me, tell me when we're we're close.
2: Of course, it, it's between the agent, but but the agent again is always on the phone with the with the player. Like, what do you want? How much? Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and all of these things, and then he, like a lot of the times, these like Petey doesn't need an agent. Uh, if I'm honest, man, <laughs> he doesn't need an agent. He he walks in to Jim's office and says, "Let's get this done." Uh, boom! This is what I want. This is and let's do it. And then he'll save himself a ton of money. Uh, that's my opinion. He he doesn't need it. Those guys don't need it. The guys that are fluttering around needs a little help, uh, uh, some massaging, some backdooring into to, to these things, definitely do. But but uh, uh, at the top of the pecking order, they don't need it. Um, it. It's nice to have that buffer, I'm sure. Uh, but, but if Petey wanted to do this, he could do this himself, no problem.
1: Well, and, and that's the thing I, I kind of wonder about. So you mentioned they don't want to talk about these things they don't want to t- answer questions about the media and i wonder if quietly behind the scenes they they work on something and don't let us know but the thing is with agents involved media is always trying to find stuff that's really hard can you go about negotiating a contract in this market with a star player without it getting out
2: i would i would assume so cuz it's it's really only three four people that would be involved in it um and if if those said people are are wanting to keep it keep it close? They can because it's a GM, it's an assistant GM, it's a president, it's a player, and an agent. The player doesn't even need to to devolve to friends and stuff like that. And you're even in dressing rooms. you you're not talking about it until it's done um because you don't want to i don't want to sound superstitious but you don't want to jinx it you don't want to get caught saying something that doesn't happen so it's not like you're you're talking about oh they're they're offering this but I, i'm coming back it, it, that's not how it's happening in the dressing room so so it is it is hush hush even in in those type circles
0: so we've seen two games with Elias Lindholm. Uh, he was uh, minus four, just like uh, Elias Pettersson last night, and had the two power play goals in, in the first one. Like, how? Um, I mean, we know the talent that this player has, but how long could it take to to really find the right fit for him in the lineup and who he should be playing with and that stuff?
2: Uh, it could probably take a while because uh, now you're also moving him off of his uh, preferred position. Uh, I mean, he's been playing center for so long in Calgary. And now he's on the wing, so it could take a while. That's why I'm happy to get done early so they get a chance to give him some games, see if it works, find another position, give him some games, see if it works, so that when it does hit April 1st, you'd prefer him to be in the spot you want him in, and he's been comfortable there for for at least a couple of weeks
1: and as far as what you would look for matchup wise is this something that you want to see like them kind of experiment through do you have an idea of what you would like to see in the top six with Lindholm there
2: yeah I, I still think you're you a player short um, in the top six uh, Kuzmenko was always that uh, hidden X factor you're, you're expecting him to be in that mix and kind of fill it out um, obviously he he went the other way So so you have you have four legitimate top six players right now on the roster, um, and then you're hoping hoping for two to round out two lines, and that's it's a little much. I, I prefer just being one player you have to find and that have to work out, um, not two. It's it's gambling a little much, in my opinion. Um, so, so again, I, you're probably still a player short in that top six to really. Uh, feel like you you have something that that'll line up against the teams we mentioned earlier here, and and not feel like okay we're we need a little bit extra here from outside those those guys in order to win the matchup because at the top of the roster they're they're just a little bit better than us. So, so again, there there are still some holes, um, and those holes will only become more glaring when we see games like we did yesterday when when it aren't clicking. When, when you're wondering what, why is PD not producing, well, PD is not producing enough because you're a new line ma- line made in, in Lindholm. And then you're re- rotating a winger through on the other side, so there's really no comfortability um, trying to find some uh, some chemistry here. Um, so, so, again, that that's where you'd like that to really start settling in. And there's no question. P.D. has been uh, he's been in a tough spot in that all year in, in terms of of rotating linemen. It's not a lot of time you see uh, one of the top players in the league um, having this many guys playing on on his wings, and again, hoping that he will be the dominating player he is every single night.
0: You know, one of the one of the guys that's uh, played most often with Elias Patterson is, is Ilya Mikheyev, and he's really going through it right now. He hasn't scored a goal in what seems like forever. Um, is is i know he's not necessarily like a, a a true top six player at least at the high end of his offense but like he he should have some things that can help top six players in in a role right like have some speed D- does he just need to simplify his game and get in hard on the four check and you know pass the puck to Petey?
2: he can help when he's uh oh this game mc playing really well give him a chance uh he, he he's got two games now but but not not fifteen twenty games um Players are who they are. Uh, and again, that adrenaline, uh, the hot stick, um, the, the, the feeling good about yourself when things goes your way, um, there's a reason it doesn't last for the, the middle six players. Uh, I, I've had that as well. where are like, oh, why, why are you not a top six four? Well, I, I can do this when the puck is bouncing my way and everything is, is tapping and in and uh, hooing and hawing here. But, but like on, on a tougher night, I, I'm not good enough. And that's where I need to drop down uh, on the lineup. And and that's where you need need these players that are legitimate top six players. And then you have the players that hopefully can fill in around. So when a Högländer is playing well, when a Kuzmenko is playing well, when a McKay is playing well, Phil Di Giuseppe, use them, play them. Um, And then when they don't, after a game and a half, two games, whatever it is, Drop them off again. Let somebody else do it um, when you don't have the the set lines. Um, but again, keep throwing the same guys out that have kind of proven, like that they they aren't top six. PD makes them look good. Don't quite, we're not questioning about that, and they do score more than if they're playing lower in the lineup. But that is obviously because they're playing with a player that are better. Um, so so again, this is where this player comes in that hopefully can can fill out the roster and, and again give this team five legitimate top six forward, so you're not guessing all the time or hoping um, that two players will work out. Well, and, and I think
1: you're right about that because that's one of the things that we've talked so much about. As, as good as a Lindholm acquisition is, you get one more top six forward and it really kind of comes together. And some, there's been some thought to maybe splitting up the Blueger garland line and Dakota Joshua, maybe using some of those guys in the top six. Is that something you would do or would you rather just keep that line together?
2: That's the same same player it won't won't work we've seen garland in the top six uh he he's found a spot now that line has played so well i don't want i don't want to i don't want to ruin that line in in, in, for any reason um -hmm. let them play together neither garland or, or joshua is uh is a top six winger and obviously bluger is not the one we're talking about um now you're just hoping that whoever you take out of that line, move up in the top six, and then fill in with the Mikheyev or Huglander on the third line, and then they play as well as those three have done through yeah, almost the entire season here now. Uh, so, so no, that, I, I don't want to touch that. Um, it, it is a matter of finding finding a fix in the top six without ruining that line.
0: What's on the uh, Super Bowl menu for uh, Friana Kansas? Chicken wings, nachos?
2: No, it is something that doesn't mess up the couches. So, uh, <laughs> so there's some boring chips or popcorn or something like that. Uh, if the little ones get their hand into something, we got, uh, we got stuff everywhere.
0: Uh, that sounds, sounds about right. Uh, thanks so much for this, Yannick. We'll talk next week. <laughs> yeah, take care. Uh, there he is, uh, Yannick Hansen, our Friday <laughs> analyst joining us here on Canuck Central. Very Very practical with his Super Bowl snack choices.
1: Yeah, it, he's just, he's a very practical Scandinavian man, <laughs> Yannick Hansen is, you know, just straight shooter to the facts, don't give me anything more than what I need, I'm satisfied, I'm good, give me good football games, something I can grub on and I'm fine.
0: And that's it, uh, that was Yannick Hansen, uh, <laughs> our Friday analyst brought to you by the Magnuson Auto Group, and he joined us on the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating and Air Conditioning Hotline, the first call, the only call. Um, it's... I think the thing that stood out to me most with uh, with Yannick was was talking about Pedersen's contract there, and you know uh, the, the player's perspective of yeah when when a player says they don't uh, they don't want their contract to be a distraction, it's more just something they say to the media to not have to talk about it with the media.
1: I mean, I, th- I think that's fair, right? Uh, I, I do, however, believe that especially based on everything we've heard. Like the team is very willing to sit down and talk, right? and yeah. they made it very clear, like we we want to have this. And so far, those overtures have not been reciprocated. At least that's what it seems like. And we spoke to Irf on Tuesday, who mentioned he wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, they're going to take another run at it here. And he maybe even mentioned maybe just maybe Pederson's camp is is now willing to sit down and talk. So maybe they are finally sitting down and, and doing something. You know, I, I asked somebody about it today and joked around and didn't quite get an answer. And I think that's going to be pretty much par for the course the rest of the way they're not going to tell you one way or another when you talk to sources or and with a the team they're not going to tell you oh we're talking we're not talking i think they're just going to be like hey we'll see what happens that and allow management and petterson's agent to maybe work something out quietly and if they can do it quietly maybe we shouldn't be surprised if they figure something out because yannick mentioned if you look at his game and we talked about this in, in the first segment could there be a level of distraction or level of trying to put up numbers or focused on doing certain things because the contract has not yet, not yet been settled.
0: And, you know, the other part of it is, as Yannick mentioned, you don't even need an agent if you're Patterson. Just like, hey, uh, this is what I want. Let's get the contract done. <laughs> and, you know, for as much as, yeah, like, uh, negotiations can be hard, uh, to to a certain level, Yannick is right. right? You know like Pedersen can almost call his shot within reason, of course. You know, he can't ask for $15 million or the max, ama- <laughs> max contract against the cap I think that would be that would be a big ask but you know reasonably there is uh, a range that makes sense and I don't everything that the Canucks have said they're not going to Try to bargain too hard with Elias Pettersson to shave uh, 100000 or 250000 off of what the contract might look like. And it is a standard player contract. Every standard player contract in the National Hockey League is the same. There are a few exceptions, right? There's 35-plus contracts that are a little bit different. There are entry-level contracts that are a little bit different. But standard player contracts, which most players sign, are all the same all the writing all the jargon they are the same and then the only thing you might be negotiating is how the bonus structure is laid out so really the biggest thing that the Canucks and Elias peterson would have to figure out or Elias peterson's agent in this case is what's the total money and then you just really start to nail down the particulars of the contract i don't I agree with Yannick. Like, I don't think there's a hard negotiation that has to go on because everybody understands it's going to be an expensive contract and it's going to be probably in this kind of range, 11 to 12 million dollars.
1: Yeah, I mean, most likely. And the, th- the biggest question for me comes down to, is it going to be shorter, longer term? Yeah. And typically, I agree. Like, I mean, uh, you know, it comes down to the total money. But is he going to be the case where he looks at it as, I prefer to do a shorter term deal? And if you're doing, say, three or four years, I just don't see it being 12 million. Like, Neilander got 11 and a half, but he signed eight. I- I'm just not sure you're going to be getting, you can command a number around 12 and you're signing for less than even Austin Matthews signed for year-wise, term-wise.
0: Uh, so that'll be uh, an interesting part of that next development for Elias Pettersson. Uh Continuing with some of the rumor roundup that we didn't get to earlier in the show, um, I know producer Josh Elliott Wolf is is big on Casey Middlestat, as is Bick Nazar. Who is it? Co host right? of the uh, post game show on Canuck Central. <laughs> yeah. And Josh has been a big advocate of Casey Middlestat being a trade target for the Vancouver Canucks. Well, it just so happens the uh, After the Whistle podcast with. Andrew Peters and Craig Revee focusing on the Buffalo Sabres, uh, reported today that Casey Middlestad is very much on the trade block. We've heard that uh, on the 32 Thoughts podcast. I think Kevin Weeks brought it up a couple of weeks ago as well. And what we talked about, uh, he's a restricted free agent. He's going to get paid pretty well. He has ARB rights. He's put up enough numbers that he's going to get paid a decent amount And the Buffalo Sabres have already paid a bunch of other guys. Things aren't really going well, so they may be looking at this player as somebody that they can uh, shake up the roster a little bit with. And that seems to be the way that it's going with Casey Middlestat. However, the Canucks have already made their big move with Elias Lindholm. Make two. (laughs) It's okay. Josh is just ready to throw caution and inhibition to the wind. Like, whatever.
1: It's fine. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, <laughs> I'm not. I, I like Casey Middlestadt a lot, and we mentioned this too in terms of our our targets. That's that's a guy that to me makes a lot of sense for this team. But honestly, considering they already spent what they spent to get Elias Lindholm, I'm just not sure I'm going to go spend another first round pick on another forward. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I think if you're spending assets, it would have to be. Maybe something on the back end or or maybe somebody that provides something a bit different than Casey Middlestat does, but I'm very intrigued by the player. It's just when you already spent the assets you have on a player like Lindholm, how much more can you spend on another forward? Uh,
0: Like, uh, I would think Buffalo is looking for more... It doesn't have to be a hockey trade. Maybe they can take some assets and you know use that to go and get another player or whatever they, it is they feel they need to round out their roster better because things have obviously not progressed the way that they would like to. But they've got a lot of young players already, right? They've been drafting and have had a ton of draft picks. They've got a ton of high-end prospects. It's like, where, where are all these guys going to play is more their question right now than, than anything else. So I would... Sort of think of Casey Middlesat as a guy that they want to make a hockey-type trade for, maybe a one-for-one, one, uh, maybe a defenseman type of thing. As it stands, though, I think uh, as far as a fit goes with the Vancouver Canucks, it's probably more of a, a an off-season thing you would look into. Let's say if you don't bring back Elias Lindholm, then maybe you go in that direction. But in either case, Casey Middlesat on the trade block. It's interesting, 25-year-old player that uh, is kind of a 60-point guy, shows to have some two-way tendencies. What I would be worried about and why I think it doesn't or didn't make sense in season for the Vancouver Canucks, like he's played on a really bad team for a while, a team with bad habits, not great defending habits, hasn't played any playoff games. Is that the guy that's going to help you in, in big games through the playoffs if you're the Canucks looking for that type of player? And that's why... I think it, it made more sense to go for Elias Lindholm rather than somebody like Casey Middlestad who doesn't have that kind of experience.
1: Well, it's it's honestly because of where the Canucks find themselves to as a team and where they're projecting to be right now. I would say though there was I forget who was it Elliot that mentioned it or perhaps Rick I forget who it was that the Canucks also checked in on Lindholm in the off season mm-hmm. and they looked into it and then they, you know to see if he was available. So even before this team had success, it was clearly a player that they liked. But it's if you went into this season. And the Canucks look like a bubble team. Maybe you look at it and say, hey, maybe we get a younger player. We're not trying to win the Cup this year anyways. It'd be gravy if we go far in the playoffs, but let's build towards something. Whereas now it's like, "We're yes, we're building and we want to do this beyond this season. But there's a real opportunity this year that you're trying to take advantage of. And Lindholm just offers you, as you mentioned more help right now for that end as opposed to somebody that's more of a project but super talented player but you're probably not going to see the best version of him for another year or so in terms of his all-around complete
0: game Um, the other part uh, of the the rumor roundup is Jake Ensel and he's very much still I would say not on the market it seems like uh, from Pittsburgh's perspective but Elliot Friedman mentioning that he would be the top target for the Edmonton Oilers and you know that's kind of exactly what the Oilers could really use as another big time score to round out their top six give McDavid or Drysidel another high-end score to work with and play with and add to their top unit power play I mean Jake Gensel to the Edmonton Oilers as a hypothetical would be oh it'd make the path through the Pacific Division that much harder
1: I mean, it, it certainly would, right? And I think if if Jake Cancel ends up on the Edmonton Oilers, to me that's the worst case. It's it's either Edmonton or Vegas, yeah. Because I don't think I'm sorry, Edmonton or Colorado. I don't think Vegas is going to be in that market. I mean, they might kick tires on it, but given how their forward group is built up and the assets that it would take to acquire him, I'm just not sure they end up making that move. Colorado is a team that would scare me if they get him, right? So I think Colorado and, and Edmonton are probably the two teams I at least want to see Jake Ensel on. So right now, I'm actually rooting for the Pittsburgh Penguins to just make the playoffs and be a team that's not going to be trading anybody off to a roster.
0: Yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, they're right in the thick of it right now, and they could view Jake Ensel as somebody as, if not their own rental, somebody that they're still deciding if they want to keep. Remember how long it took them to uh, go down the road with... Uh, Chris Letang and, and and Evgeny Malkin. Eventually, they they got them all done, and kept them all in Pittsburgh. So it is a path that they could take with Jake Gensel as well. It's uh, Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. We'll get to uh, some mailbag overflow, some of your questions from earlier, and also some of our Super Bowl picks, as it is Super Bowl weekend
1: across the land. All right, Dan Richo, Satyar Shah, Canuck Central.